You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Good evening. Um, So this is my son, John, John Isaac. He was born on Thursday. You better get a good look at him. You look at that. He was just born on Thursday. So it's like three days old. And uh, I love him so much. He's He's my son. He hasn't done anything yet. I mean, he just sits here and sleeps and uh, looks cute and eats and does all his baby things. But, oh, I love him so much. It's been getting to know him these first few days. has been amazing. And uh, I'm going to love him all the time. He'll always be my son, even when he makes mistakes, even when he uh, maybe even makes some terrible mistakes. And I'm not going to look on him and call him a sinner or a thief or, you know, whatever mistake he makes. I'm going to call him my son because that's who he is. And that's how God sees us when we're his children. And that's what we're going to see in First John. I'm not going to hold him the whole time. It'll be very distracting. That uh, we're God's children. And when we accept his son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, we become his sons. And Jesus is God's unique son, his only begotten son. But we also become sons and daughters of God through adoption through his son Jesus and all we have to do is be born be born spiritually Jesus says in order to enter the kingdom of heaven you must be born again spiritually we've all been born physically John has been born physically but we need to be born spiritually and once you're born spiritually then you're God's son or God's daughter and that's just the relationship you have with him there's nothing that takes that away there's nothing you can do that takes you away from that. But there are some things that are going to change about you because of who your Father in Heaven is. Uh, just from being born again, by being born spiritually, is what, is what happens. So God can pick, could pick any name for Himself to reveal Himself to us. He could say, I am your King, and He does. And He could say, I am your Lord, and He does. But primarily, God says, I am your Father. And even through the Old Testament, God was never the individual father of the Israelites, but as a nation, the Israelites, God's people, will call him their father. But then Jesus comes, God's unique son, his only begotten son, starts calling God the Father his father, as a personal father. And he says to pray, when you pray, pray our father. And God is our father when we are his children. We've been born spiritually. All it takes is being born. When you're born, you're someone's kid. That's how it works. And so when we're born spiritually by accepting Jesus' payment for our sins, we become God's children because He says, I am your Father. I just think that's amazing. Any name He could have said, He says, Father, I am your Father. 
And as I'm a father and lots of fathers in here, we have, I think, a unique responsibility to give honor and glory to that name that we get to share that title with God the Father to bring honor to that name that our kids would never hear the word Father and think, oh, that's, I don't like fathers. Fathers are terrible. But that they hear that word Father and think, man, my dad was awesome, so God the Father has to be even greater. It, but the problem is when we are God's children by accepting Jesus' payment for our, our sins, uh, a lot of times people mix up their who's and their do's. Or even before they come to Jesus, they mix it up, their who's and their do's. A lot of times people think that what you do determines who you are. That before I can become God's child, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this. I have to get rid of this sin, I have to get rid of that addiction before I can become God's child. That's a lot of people think. And that's not what the gospel teaches that's not the God of this Bible, what he says. It's not what we do that determines who we are. It's who we are that determines what we do. And because we are God's children, that's who we are when we've accepted Jesus into our hearts and let the Holy Spirit work in us. That is who we are, and that determines what we do, or it should. If you're truly God's child, that should change some things about you and determine some things that you're going to do. But be very careful not to flip it around. Who you are determines what you do, not what you do determines who you are. There's a huge difference. So because we are God's children, we need to act like it, is what the message is going to be in this section of First John uh, chapter 2, verse 28 through verse 10 of chapter 3. That kind of the big verse is chapter 3, verse 1. And John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. He just can't even understand why God would love people so much that we could be called His children. We could be called a lot of things, and they wouldn't be as good as being His children. That's a different relationship than could be anything. So John says, look at how much God loves us, that we can be His children. And that's love. It's not that we become that by what we do, John is not my child because he did anything. He's my son because he was born. Who you are should determine what you do. So because we're God's children, we need to act like it. That's what's, uh, because we're God's children, we need to act like it. That's what John is going to write. So the first thing he says that we should do because we are God's children is to practice righteousness. Again, who we are, God's children, should determine what we do, which is practice righteousness. So in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, verses 20 and 29, John writes, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practice, practices righteousness is born of Him. It's not just, we are God's kids, okay, great, and now there's nothing. Again, who we are should determine what we do. And when we become God's children, we're going to do some other things out of that relationship. Not to gain His favor, but because He loves us so much that we are His children. And he says right here, we need to practice righteousness. Now that word practice is important even later on. It means to continue and keep on. It's an ongoing action. Okay, so we're not just righteous one time. It's not a decision we made to give our life to Jesus and then it's over. I made, I, I made that decision a while ago and then nothing changed. That's not how it is. It's practicing righteousness. It's continuing in that. It's not a one-time decision to be God's child, 
to become a Christian. It's a lifestyle. It's an ongoing action that we must practice righteousness. Uh, he gives two reasons here why we need to practice righteousness. You know, the first thing John says is to not be ashamed. It says, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so, to illustrate that, I'm going to turn to uh, Luke chapter 12. And he's talking about to practice righteousness so that we won't be ashamed when Jesus comes back. Because Jesus came one time and he's coming back again. And he's saying we don't want to be ashamed when that happens. Now Jesus talks about that a few times through the Gospels. In Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35, he tells a parable of the expectant steward. And there's a couple different ones. And the idea here is so we're not ashamed when he returns, so that we're seen doing what we should be doing. So Jesus says, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve him, serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, and find them so. Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And so that shows us, Jesus is telling his people that we need to be doing our Father's business when Jesus returns. That we don't want to be the servant who thinks the master is never coming. So we eat and drink and beat our servants, it even says. And we don't want to be that person because we're God's children. And we should be acting like we're God's children. Who we are should determine what we should do. So we're not ashamed at a second coming. Secondly, John says that we need to practice righteousness because Jesus is righteous. He says in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Because Jesus is righteous, we should also practice righteousness. And kind of the big idea of who we are should determine what we do, because we are God's children. Children reflect their parents. And even from a very young age, we see that. Uh, like Nora, I, I would sit in a chair like this with my arms behind my head, and she would sit there doing this. And even from... A very young time, kids start to reflect their parents. And even as they grow up and think, oh, my parents are the worst, they continue to 
still do kind of the same things their parents do. And then especially once you're grown up, and a lot of times I think, ooh, I just sounded like my dad when I said that. And we reflect our parents. Anyone who has that much influence in our life is going to, uh, we're going to reflect that in some way. And if we are God's children, we should be reflecting Him in some way. If He's the one who's raising us and teaching us through His Word and through the Holy Spirit, then we should be reflecting Him. If God's your Father, or you say, and nothing has changed about the way that you do things or the way you see things, then He's probably not your Father, is what John says right here. It can be a pretty harsh word. I mean, it's loving that we're His children, but at the same time, it can be harsh if there's no difference about you, if there's no change then you might not be his kid. If you're the child of the God of the universe, you should reflect that in some way by practicing righteousness. Who you are should determine what you do. And I saw this one time, uh, I had a student who was always you know, very, uh, how shall we say, not respectful of authority, and just you know, the, kind of, the kind of attitude about her. And so I was talking to her one day, I never had a big problem with her, but she was the kind of student who, well, she looked at me bad, so you'll be upset about it all day, because someone gave her a dirty look, and even from a teacher. This teacher gave me a dirty look, so she doesn't like me. That kind of thing. And I was talking to her, and she started talking about her dad. I never met him. I don't know who he is, but uh, there's this rule that in the gym at our, the school I work at, you can only have water in there, not any other beverage. And she said his dad was going to if they were going to kick him out because he was drinking soda, he wasn't going to listen and all this. And, oh, I get it. That a lot of when parents don't respect authority, neither do the kids. And we always see the way that parents talk about things reflected in the kids. And then this works the same way at conference time when there's students who are very respectful and, you know, how can I help you, sir, and do all these things. And then the parents will come in and be like, I'm on your side. You let me know if there's any problems with the kids. I'll... I'll work it out with them. Like, oh, I get it. You know, they have, it almost always matches up like that, that the parents who have a high respect for authority and teachers, so do the, the kids or the students. And again, because God is our Father, we should start to reflect Him by practicing righteousness, by loving the things that He loves and hating the things that He hates because He is our Father and we are His children. Uh, and so because we're children of God, we should practice righteousness. Secondly, John writes that we need to purify ourselves because we're God's children. And it kind of, it's all kind of a similar thing, but in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, John writes, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. And so John says again that because Jesus is pure, if we have that same hope, if we are God's children, we ourselves should try to be pure and purify ourselves, not by our own, by doing good deeds, by thinking God will be pleased with me if I do this or that, but by being obedient to the Holy Spirit, by doing what He's telling us to do. And to be pure really means to separate ourselves from sin. It's just like Jesus did. He never sinned. We also, as God's children, should work to separate ourselves from sin. And we'll get into more detail about that in a minute. But I want to explain this by kind of going backwards to it. 
So in verse 3, John says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, because that reflects who Jesus is. What he's talking about is the idea called sanctification. That uh, salvation is kind of a process that isn't done yet, even when we have accepted Jesus' payment for our sins, and we said, you're my Lord and Savior, Jesus. That process doesn't end until, we'll get to that in a minute, but that's called regeneration. The moment that we decide to accept Jesus into our hearts, our heart is sort of renewed, we're born again. And that's regeneration. That's when the Holy Spirit enters us, when we accept that. But this whole life right now is called sanctification. We're working on our salvation. It's not just we decided Jesus is my Savior and I'm going to sit back and do whatever I want and not have anything change about me. That's not salvation. After you're regenerated, your heart has been renewed, then you're going to go through this process of sanctification where every day, hopefully, you're becoming more and more like Jesus because He's our example and He is our God and He is our Lord. And it is a struggle and that's why this life is so hard. And that's the battle we fight when we don't want to sanctify ourselves. We don't want to become more like Jesus, become more holy, because that was our old nature, was to do whatever we wanted, to not let ourselves be under authority. But when that happens, it becomes a struggle. But we work on that sanctification by purifying ourselves because we are God's children. Because Jesus is God's unique Son. He is pure. He never sinned. He stayed away from sin, although He was tempted. We because we are also God's children, not as unique child like Jesus, but we are also God's children. And so we also need to purify ourselves, to sanctify, to work every day on being more and more like Jesus and getting farther and farther from sin through the Holy Spirit. And this isn't something that we do just to get brownie points with God or because we think that it will make Him love us more. And He's our Father. I'm not going to love my kids more because they do good things. I'll be pleased with them, but it's not going to change the love I have for them. That love is consistent, even when they make mistakes. I'll be disappointed. They may even need to be disciplined, but that love is still there. And that's what the love God has for us is, because He is our Father. And again, we do this because we are God's children, not so we can become His children. And a lot of people mix that up. They mix up their who's and their do's. And we think we have to do become perfect or as perfect as we can be before we can even turn to God. Uh, Thinking maybe things like, how could God forgive me when I can't even forgive myself? Or I need to stop committing this sin before God will love me. And God already loved you. His Son already died for you. And there's nothing you can do to gain that love more except just accept that. And so we we do this because we are God's children, not so that we can become His children. This also means we need to work in Christianity, a lot of times I think maybe we get confused or something about that we're saved by grace and grace alone. Yes, we are. And that's very important that we don't do anything to gain our salvation. But it doesn't mean, again, we just sit back and do nothing. And again, the Holy Spirit is working through us. And the Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us, but it takes us working with Him. We have to be obedient to that. It's not just sitting back and doing nothing. It's working on our salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says elsewhere. And we need to work on that purification, that sanctification, to become more like Jesus because we are His children. So when He says, the purifies Himself just as He is pure, that's what He's talking about. Now go backwards into verse 2. He references everyone who has this hope. So what is this hope? Verse 2 said, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. 
But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so this is the hope that we're working for. This is the end product of our salvation. First, we are regenerated when the Holy Spirit enters our hearts. Then we are sanctified as we work to walk with Jesus. The end result is glorification. This is our hope. It's not just this life, although God helps us obviously in this life to make meaning of everything. But we have a hope beyond this life that one day we will be glorified, that when He is revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. We don't even know Jesus' full glory right now. We worship Him and honor Him as God, but we are still waiting for our glorified bodies. We're still waiting for the end result of our salvation. And there's amazing benefits in this life, but the end product is our glorification. And the best place in the Bible to learn about that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So I'm also going to read that because it's an amazing description of what our glorified bodies will be like. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 35. And this is our hope as Christians. This is the end result of our salvation. And this is what we're working for. This is why we purify ourselves and why we practice righteousness. Because this life does matter in the next life. But most of the work has been done by Jesus already. So in chapter 15, starting in verse 35, Paul is writing here describing the nature of our glorified bodies, our glorification. He says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, which is Jesus. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As he was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, 
Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And there's a whole bunch in there that we could study, probably for weeks and weeks. But what he's describing is, this is again the best spot in the Bible that describes what will be like in our glorified body, the end product of our salvation. Jesus came to the earth as God to live a perfect life, to be a perfect sacrifice, to pay for our sins, so that we could be forgiven in this life, so that we could be glorified in the next life. And rather than suffering eternity in hell, in conscious eternal suffering, we can instead not just continue in life, but in glorified life, to have a perfect body where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. And what he uses to describe that in 1 Corinthians, to illustrate that as a seed. Hey, a seed, like I always said, any seed, perhaps wheat. I just think it's funny I said that. But any seed is just a little thing. The seed doesn't look all that great, but you put it in the ground, and then you get a beautiful flower or whatever else. That something has, when you put it in the ground, that's our bodies right now. When that's put in the ground or when we die, what comes up is amazing, is glorious. How a flower could come from a little, little seed. And that's God's way of telling us this is what our bodies will be like when we glorify the end result of our salvation. Because we're God's children, we're not going to be like this with whatever pain we feel, with whatever sadness we have or issues we have. That body, there's a whole bunch of descriptions in there that says that body is a physical body. It's not just a spiritual body, but a physical body free from all of that. Everything will be as it should have been without sin. And sin's influence has corrupted everything. And that's how Jesus was when he resurrected. And he's the first fruits, it said. When there's first fruits, there's other fruits. And Jesus was the first one to get that body. And we all, if we're God's children, will also receive that body through the payment Jesus made. We can never gain that on our own because we're sinful. But that a sinful body must put on incorruption, he says, because heavenly things are not corruptible as we are. So we get a new body, glorified, perfect, and uh, it's all thanks to Jesus. That's what he paid for on the cross for our sins when we accept that. That's the end product. So then, that is our hope when he is revealed. And then it says in verse 1, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And that's going to that first step of salvation, that the world doesn't know him. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have that hope. You have no hope. Your best hope is this life. This life is all you got. This, is, this life is as close to heaven as you'll ever be if you don't know Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, this life is as close to hell as it's ever going to be. And it says that the world does not know us because it did not know him. And people who don't know Jesus probably aren't going to get what, you're, what I'm talking about or when you explain this to them. They're not going to know who Jesus is or how this is working in you because they don't know who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit has to do that. It starts with regeneration. That's something God the Holy Spirit does, not us. And we pray for that and work for that in people who don't know Jesus. But it's ultimately the Holy Spirit that works through that. And it's that person turning away from their sins and repenting and turning to Jesus in forgiveness for their sins. And so until we become who we're going to be when Jesus returns, 
This life is one of purification, working every day to be more and more like Jesus. And we will be like Him, not as God, but as glorified bodies when He returns. But until then, it's about practicing righteousness and purifying ourselves, as he's writing right here, because we're God's children. And the third thing that John writes about when we're God's children is that because we're God's children, we must not continue in sin. It's kind of a pattern here. These are all kind of the same thing. Who we are determines what we do. And if we are God's children and God is perfect, then we're not going to be perfect, but we, that should be reflected in us somehow. So verses 4-10, through 10, John writes, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And do you know that He was manifested to take away our sins? And in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for a seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So when I read that, I get a little scared because I've sinned lots and lots of times, even after accepting Jesus. And earlier in 1 John, he says that uh, not to deceive ourselves. Whoever says he has no sin is deceiving themselves and uh, God is not in him. So what's this all about? Earlier he says that we should not lie and say we have no sin. And now he says that those born of God, God's children, do not sin. Now this is verified by Justin Alfred. They had a call on to every man and answer about this like last week. And he says the, the sense in the Hebrew in this section, or not the Hebrew, the Greek, is more about practicing sin. It's a continuous action in the present. It's not, I made a mistake, I messed up, I missed the mark, and I repented, and I'm done with it. That's, that's sinning as God's children. But what he's saying here. When whoever sins in this section, it's a different uh, action in the Greek, that it's a continuous, ongoing action. So you could, other versions, uh, translations translate that as whoever practices sin or remains in sin. So what this is talking about is God's children do not remain in sin. God's children do not practice sin. God's children are not defined by their sins. They're not dominate, or not given to life-dominating sins. God's children will sin because we're not glorified yet, but we will not practice sin, we'll not continue in sin. And when we know we've sinned, we repent because we're God's children. So why can't a person be a child of God and continue in sin at the same time? There's six reasons in this little section why that just doesn't make logical sense. First of all, he says that sin is lawlessness. He's not really talking about John, he's not talking about the Mosaic Law, because he's writing to Christians, and we're not under that. But lawlessness is rebellion against God's law. And John, when he talks about the law, he's mainly talking about loving fellow Christians, which we'll talk about next week. But lawlessness is rebelling against the law. It's saying, not your will, God, but my will be done. And I'm going to do what I want. And that's not what God's children say. Uh, Children who say to their parents, I'm going to do what I want, not what you want. That's not a good situation. 
And so that's one reason. Number two, sin is contrary to Jesus. It says that He, being Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. And we're adopted into God's family as His children through Jesus. Jesus says that we were slaves to sin. And slaves can never be part of the family. But if the Son brings them in, then they can be. Uh, so if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. That's what He's talking about. So Jesus, sin is contrary to Jesus. Jesus never sinned. That was one of the reasons why He came, was to live perfectly under the Old Testament laws. And He never sinned. And that He came to take away sins. So if we continue in continuous, unrepentant, ongoing sin, and also claim we're God's children, that doesn't make sense. And John is very clear when you read through this. He said it several times. If that's what you're doing, then you're probably not God's child. You're probably not truly saved. It's probably, maybe you're lying to yourself, or even you know what's happening, but that is not God's child. God's child doesn't like sin, because God doesn't like sin. And that's why Jesus came, to take away our sins. Again, we're going to sin, but not practice sin. A third reason why you can't be a child of God and continue in sin, is that he says in verse 6, Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. If whoever practices sin continues living in sin and doing what we know is wrong, what God says is wrong, that person never knew God. He's very clear. This person never had a regenerated heart, like I talked about earlier. A person who continues living in sin has never given their life to Jesus. And he says right here, has never seen Him nor known Him. Fourthly, John says that sin is of the devil. And he says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Pretty clear right there. That sin comes from the devil, and uh, because he's always sinned from the beginning. And then it says after that, this, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So if you continue in sin, that's the work of the devil, and Jesus came to destroy that. So you know, Jesus isn't going to destroy his own adopted brothers and sisters. Jesus came to destroy that. And number six, if we're God's children, His seed is in us. It says, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for His seed remains in Him, and He cannot sin because He has been born of God. And so His seed could be interpreted as a few different things, but most likely is the Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus into our life and accept His payment for our sins, God the Holy Spirit enters our hearts and changes us And that should cause us to not live in ongoing, practicing sin. Because the Holy Spirit should be convicting us. If if the Holy Spirit is not convicting us, then we might not have the Holy Spirit living in us, or we might be rebelling. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, but I don't think the reasons really matter, because it's very clear that that shouldn't be the situation. When you know you're sinning, when you know you're living in continuous sin, there should be repentance if you're God's child. And so verse 10 summarizes all this and makes it very clear. The children of God and the children in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Very clear. You cannot be a Christian and live in continuous, unrepentant sin. John has said this over and over, and that's a lie that comes from a lot of different places. And I think mainly it's from that I made the decision to be a Christian one time, and now it's over. Now my sins are forgiven, I can do whatever I want, and I have a clean slate, and I'm guaranteed into heaven no matter what. That's basically what I thought 
growing up before I completely turned against it was, hey, I believe in, I believe in a God, a Jesus, and now my sins are forgiven no matter what, so I can do whatever I want, and I'm still good to go for heaven. I think that's really what's at the core of most of the time when people think being a Christian is a one-time decision. But it's a lifestyle. It's a change. It's becoming God's child. So the solution isn't to be better, to try harder, to do this or do that. Remember, God already loves you if you're His child. The solution is to be thankful for that. It's grace. I mean, grace is the motivator for what we do as a Christian, that God did not have to forgive us. We did not earn our forgiveness. Jesus did not have to come to pay for our sins. But He did, because He loves us so much. He loves everyone so much. That opportunity is available to everyone because of how much God loves all people. And that is what motivates us to do, to uh, practice righteousness, to purify ourselves, to not continue in sin. Because Jesus, God, had to come to die to pay for our sins. It's not just a little thing that, oh, whatever, God will overlook it, or it's no big deal. It's God died to pay for that. And if that doesn't motivate you to want to be a better child, and not better so that He'll love me better, but so that I'll reflect His glory better, then you might not be his, one of his children. You really need to search your heart and realize that. The kids, even children, tend to be more obedient when they know their parents love them. When uh, kids know that their parents love them, they kind of just listen and do what they say and think, I trust my parents. But when kids think they need to earn their parents' love, that's a lot of times where more of the disobedience comes. And that's when we think we have to earn God's love that doesn't lead to salvation. That leads to disobedience and frustration and despair or pride if we think we're good at it. We are God's children and He loves us already. And so we should purify ourselves, practice righteousness, and not continue in sin. So to, to close all this, and this is what we do because of who we are. Again, who we are determines what we do or should. But there's another angle of this, of what it means to be God's child, that I think is amazing uh, to think that God calls Himself a Father, and we are His children. Even John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. We don't deserve this. We didn't earn this. We don't deserve at all to be God's children, but He loves us so much that we are. And so, Father is a term, again, that God shares with us, with people. We get to be fathers. And there's a lot of connections you can make from that. Based on Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 and 11, uh, Jesus says, What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And Jesus is saying, if your kids ask you for bread, are you going to give them a rock? No, you wouldn't do that. If your kid asks you for fish, are you going to give them a snake? No, no father would do that. And these are just earthly fathers, sinful fathers, not perfect heavenly fathers like God our Father. So Jesus says if we, being earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our heavenly Father, who is perfect and without sin, will be able to give good gifts to His children? And so when we think about what a good dad on earth does, how much more is what our perfect father in heaven going to do? Tragically, a lot of people have had terrible fathers. Like I said at the beginning, 
that, that's a huge responsibility that we as dads have to not shame that name of father. If when our kids hear the word father, hear that God is our father, and they think, I don't want that because fathers are terrible, we failed at our job. We need to bring glory and honor to that name. So what do good earthly dads do? Several things. Hey, they spend time with their kids. I love spending time with my kids. Uh, one of the hardest things I have to do is go to work because I have to go away from them. And that's just me. I'm not bragging about me being a good dad. That's just because I'm the dad and they're my kids and I love that. And Jesus is your, or not Jesus, God the Father is our Father through Jesus, His Son. And if we as earthly fathers like spending time with our kids, how much more is our Heavenly Father going to want to spend time with you? So He's with you through the Holy Spirit all the time. And He wants to hear from you. And you talk to God through prayer. Uh, Nora can barely talk right now, but I love to hear her talk to me. And if she would go days and days without saying anything to me, or even maybe just, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, let these gifts to us, we bless, amen. If she just said some, I don't know, some repetitive thing that doesn't mean anything to me every couple days, I'd be sad. And if we're not praying to God on a daily basis, continually throughout the day, God wants to hear from you because He loves you. You're His child. And if your kids only talk to you every couple days, or even maybe not even that much, if you don't, if you don't pray, hey, God wants to hear from you because He loves you. We all want to hear from our kids. Uh, good dads on earth love their kids unconditionally. I've already said this. I mean, there's nothing that little John here can do that's going to take away my love for him. There's nothing that Nora can do that's going to make me stop loving her. It's unconditional. They're not going to gain my love. And again, I'm just a terrible earthly father. Our perfect father loves us unconditionally. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. That's unconditional love. If you accept that, then you're unconditionally loved by God. You need to be right with him and turn from your sin, repent, and turn to Jesus. And God loves you unconditionally. And even that is unconditional because you don't have to do anything to do that. All you have to do is turn. It's unconditional. There's no strings attached to it. There's no, well, here, I've been pretty good my whole life, but I'm going to turn you. It's nothing. It's an unconditional offer. If you turn to Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, you're my child, and I'll love you always, no matter what, even when you fail. I'm not going to love you more because you go to church three times a week. It's, I love you no matter what. Good earthly dads teach their kids. They tell them what to do, uh, what's good to do, what's wrong to do. And that includes discipline. You don't really have to teach your kids how to do the wrong thing. Uh, Nora, she already, like, just naturally picked up this ability to, when she's mad, find something to pick up and throw to the ground. You don't have to teach your kids to do that, but to teach them how to do the right thing or to teach them how to correct when they do the wrong thing. That's discipline. And our Heavenly Father, if He's your Father and you're His kid, He might have to discipline you. He's not going to punish you. Jesus has already been punished. But you may need some discipline. You may need to see what's the result of following this path. And that might be the thing that turns you to repentance. It's not a punishment. It's not God is mad at me, so this or that. When, when I have to put Nora in time out, it's not that I don't love her or that I'm mad at her. It's she needs to learn she can't act like that. And that's what discipline is. It's teaching. So if we teach our kids, God, our Father, teaches us. And it's an act of love. If you never teach your kids or discipline your kids, you don't love them. And sometimes that has to happen to us because we're sinful. And good dads uh, have kids. You need to have kids to be a dad. Now, little Johnny right here, I didn't need him 
I had him because I wanted to. And just like God our Father, He doesn't need us. He wanted us because it brings us joy. None of us need to have kids. But we have kids because, well, maybe it's an accident, but hopefully it's because we want to have kids because it's going to bring us enjoyment because we just want to love on, you know, some, look at that sweet little guy right there. I just want to love him. But I don't need to have him. And same with us. God didn't need us, but he wanted us. And that's love. And he wanted us not just to exist, but to be right with him. He didn't want us to continue living in our sins, disconnected from him. He sent his son, Jesus, to let us be together with him in fellowship, even though we're sinful and he is perfect. He loves us. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be with him. Just because he loves us, not for any other reason. Uh, good dads are good examples for their kids. And Jesus is our best uh, thing to look at for a good example. I mean, Jesus is not God the Father, he's God the Son. But he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so Jesus sets our example. He's what we should be working towards and who we're learning from. A good dads protect their kids. And what do kids do when they're scared or when uh, someone's going to hurt them? They run behind their parents, right? They uh, know that their, you know, their mom or their dad is so much bigger and is going to protect them. And God, our Father, protects us. And he shields us from the effects of sin and the, His wrath if we don't have our sins paid for. We get to run behind God and let Him protect us. And that's amazing. And uh, last thing I came up with, I'm mean, sure there's lots of things, but good dads lead their kids. Like just today, I was taking Nora down to the basement, and her natural instinct is, is she was going down the stairs, and she puts her hand up and goes, Hand? She just knows that when she needs help, she puts her hand up, and her mom or her dad is there to take it and to help her when she's coming up the steps, too, going into the house. Hand? Or hep? She knows that when she reaches her hand up, someone is going to be there to help her. She's not going to have to get up the stairs alone and maybe fall, even though she's had to sometimes, that's it's sad, because our hands are full or something. But God, I'm, I'm an earthly father. God, our perfect father, is always going to be there. When you reach your hand out to him, like a little kid reaches out their hand to their parent, God, your father, is there to lead you, to guide you, whatever you're going through, whatever stairs huh, in your life that are causing you difficulties, that you're scared of falling down or slipping. When you reach your hand out to God, he's there to take you. That's what kids do naturally. And maybe we get, when I'm going upstairs, I don't reach my hand out for my dad. I think I'm too good for that. Or I can do it on my own. But let's not be like that with our father and think that I don't need his help because I'm all grown up. That's not how it is with him. We always need his help. If we reach out our hand to him, he's there to lead us. And so we're extremely privileged to worship our God, this God that we worship, the God of this Bible, Jesus Christ. Other people worship false gods and they have to think they have to please Him. I have to do this and that or God's not going to love me. But our God loves us so much He sent His Son. But because He sent His Son and we become His children, we have to remember it's not just all you know rainbows and lollipops. We don't just get to sit back and think, I don't have to do anything at all. If we are God's children, that should determine what we do. We should start reflecting Him. That His glory would somehow shine on to us and we would reveal His glory. Because children reflect their parents. Probably all your kids somehow reflect you in some way. They do the things you do. They say some of the things you say. And if 
God is your Father, if you've said that, God, you're my Father, I accept Jesus' payment for my sins, but you're not reflecting Him in any way, well, the answer is right here. To practice righteousness, purify yourselves, not continue in sin. To remember that Jesus is our example. To walk like He walked. To live as He lived. And we're not going to be perfect, but that's why God is here to forgive us. Because He is our Father and we are His children. And He loves us so much. So remember, it's not what you do that determines who you are. It's who you are that determines what you do. So let's pray to our Father. Father God, thank You so much that You are our Father. That You didn't have to be that to us. You didn't have to say that that's the relationship I want to have with my people. But You did because You're a loving God. You're a loving Father. And You showed Your love most clearly, Lord God, when You sent Your Son, Jesus, to die for us, to pay for our sins. And because of His sacrifice, we can be Your children. So Father, I pray You would help us that we would reach our hands out to You to guide us, to lead us through our lives, to help us to practice righteousness, purify ourselves, not continue in sin, so that we can be more like Your Son, Jesus, Your perfect Son who died for our sins. So Lord, I just thank You again, and I praise You and give You all the honor and glory. And uh, just thank You. In Your name we pray, Lord Jesus. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.